All right, how's, how's everyone doing? Good. You guys feel uh, refreshed, fired up after all that prayer? All right, so I'm just going to go right into the word. Is that okay? All right, let's turn our Bibles to Philippians. It's in the New Testament. And yeah, this is a word God's been just speaking to me for a few weeks now. And like, I'm, I'm so excited to share it. My, my only uh, concern is I just hope I share it well. You know what I mean? It's like, it's such a good word that, you know, it's like, it's like Game Boy. You know, it's like that kind of pressure. But it's a good pressure. So get excited. You guys hungry for the word tonight? All right. So Philippians 1. Let's go to the end of verse 18. And I'm just going to read. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. And this is the verse that everybody knows, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Amen. So, yeah, this is a verse, this is like, if, if believers had a theme song or a theme verse, this is the verse, you know? Like, right when you become a believer... You, this is probably one of the verses you, you memorize very quickly. For to me, to live is Christ and die is gain. And, you know, even uh, when I was in youth group, I always liked to sing in my uh, sermon. So, you know, there's this uh, one song we always sang. Christ in me is to live. Sing along if you know it. <laughs> to die is to gain. You got to do the a you know, because it goes down like that. And, you know, he's my king. He's my song, all that stuff. And. Uh, you know, Paul, when he was writing this letter, he really knew what this meant. You know, he really knew what it meant to uh, have a life and to fully live it for Christ, right? You know, he was uh, a man who was really just after God's heart. But at the same time, he understood that this lifelong passion of his, you know, as he was just living and living for Christ, it was fully gained, you know, once he died. You know, he, he understood what it really meant to Live is Christ, and to die is gain. So, you know, just to, uh, in, in a very similar way, this was my uh, understanding of this verse, you know, where it's just saying, you know, my whole life to live, it's all about Christ, it's all about Jesus. You know, no matter how, I lo- how long I live, it's always going to be about Jesus. But as soon as I die, man, it's going to be just eternal, you know, just being with Christ forever. And, and that's the truth, right? You guys can all agree, right? To live on this side of the, on, on, uh, on earth is when we uh, really, yeah, just live for Christ. But, you know, once we die, we're with Christ forever, right? It's very, very simple truth, you know, and that's something that, you know, we always think of when we think of this verse. But, you know, I was just really meditating on this, and God was really taking me uh, deep, uh, just layer by layer. And, yeah, he was just pretty much um, really pointing me to saying, you know, if, yeah, if we if we don't know Jesus here, and if we don't want to know him here in a finite period, you know what? We're not going to want to know him later, right? In an infinite period of time, right? And it's very simple truth. But tonight, I just want to share another dimension of that verse. Okay? So, sorry, I'm preaching with my iPad for the first time, so I'm trying to like work off of that. But anyways, um, let me just pray real quick. Okay? Let's bow our heads. Uh, Father, I just thank you for this word. Um, Lord, we just pray, uh, Holy Spirit, just come, and we just ask for a deeper revelation of you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. 
Amen. All right, so just to give a little cultural context of this letter to the Philippians, you know, Paul's writing to the church Philippi, and he's, you know, writing while he's in jail. He's writing while he has chains on his uh, arms, right? And, you know, towards the end of the letter, he's saying, you know, there's a warning, you know, about false teachers, and he's saying, hey, just be careful, blah, blah, blah. But for the most part, you know, just by judging uh, the tone of Paul's, uh, just the way he's, the words he's using, the way he's, he's speaking to the church Philippi, he's very pleased with them. You know, it's not like the church of Corinth where he's saying, hey, uh, you know, you, you just got to stop being a resounding gong, a clanging cymbal, you know, stop, stop being so crazy charismatic, you know, with all the spiritual gifts, but focus on love. Or, you know, it's not like another church where it's like, you know, so much sexual morality or this is, this bad thing is going on. But, you know, he's really um, acknowledging that the church of Philippi is very faithful, you know, and he's really pleased with them in that way. He's pretty much saying, good job, church of Philippi. You're doing a great job. You know, a little thumbs up to them. And and you see this because even in the book of Acts, you see uh, the church of Philippi, they're very uh, honored. They're very viewed positively because, you know, they give a very generous financial gift to the church of Jerusalem. And even they've uh, given financial gifts to Paul himself. So, you know, he's there's no rebuke, you know, there's no... Um, typhistedness, you know, going on. And in a similar way, you know, I, as I was just really digging deep into this verse, I felt like, man, this is like, this is like Church of New Philadelphia. You know, like we're, we're doing well. You know, we're, we're in a good place. You know, we're not, there's no, you know, people uh, being shady with the money or, you know, just like, you know, it's good things are happening. You know, no one's, no one's tight-fisted here because, you know, last Friday fire, Pastor Joel preached on money. You know, some people probably gave, you know, you know, Pastor Christian, he doesn't, uh, for those of you who are leaders at our church, you know, we smart comment. We, we do a very intel, intelligent comment for all the sermons that go out. And, you know, he's not saying anything like that. I'm not going to say anything like that because I know you guys are all going to smart comment on this, you know, after I preach this tonight, you know. So, you know, there's none of this, like, no need for rebuke. And, and I felt like, wow, this is a church filled by, it's kind of like church of, New Philadelphia, right? You guys feel me on that? Yeah, no? Maybe some of you guys need some rebukes. I don't know. Uh, but in light of their faithfulness, again, Paul's not concerned about any particular bad thing, but the one of his main concerns in, uh, as he's writing this letter is the direction the church is about to take. Okay, so in other words, Paul's primary interest is in encouraging them to continue in the direction that they've been going. But there's a problem. This is the problem. It's not a bad problem. There's no, you know, crazy bad sin. But one obstacle that Paul's concerned with while he's writing this uh, that will keep them from going in the right, the correct direction is this ever-growing sense of dissent or this, you know, factionalism. There, pretty much, there's a, a sense of inclination of disunity that's going <clears throat> that's going on, and. You know, whether it's with the, the local church in, in Philippi or just the wider body. Because what you have to understand about Philippi is it was a Roman colony. So what happened was, uh, you know, a couple hundred years later, uh, before, I mean, there was this guy named Alexander Great. You know, he conquered the city. Once that happened, it became a Roman Empire. And, you know, it was a good thing because, you know, if you're a Roman, uh, part of the Roman Empire at that time, it was like, snap, I'm in. You know, it's it's good. I'm living it up. And... But the bad thing was, you know, it became a source of pride, whether you were a Christian in Philippi or just, just a regular citizen, right? So what had happened was in Philippi, there was many Roman 
army veterans living there. They had, because they're a Roman colony, they had certain autonomy in the government. You know, they, they had the same rights as other Roman cities. They were able to not just have Roman law, but they were exempted from some taxes. And everyone was a Roman citizen, you know. It was like, it was like being an American. Come on, American pride, anybody, you know? Oh, say, can you see? <sighs> Maybe not so much these days, but, you know, it's, no, but really, like, you, you know, we're not going that direction right now as America, but, you know, you could, you could get into any country for the most part, you know, uh, and, and Romans back then, it was kind of like that. It was like, man, if I'm a Roman citizen, I can go anywhere, you know, people will, will like, respect me, they'll see me in a very, you know, positive light. America, like 50 years ago, and, uh, and, and in this context, you know, Paul's saying, hey, hey, let's, let's unite, you know, lay down your little differences, lay down, you know, you're doing, you're, you're doing great, Church Philippi, you're doing a good job, you know, keep it up, great job, you know, thank you for the generous giving and all this, but, but more than that, you know, he's just saying, um, yeah, let's, let's really learn what it means to have unity, right? So going back to our, our main uh, verse 21 in chapter 1, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So what does that mean? So again, if you have your Bibles open, let's just keep reading. The verse 22, it says, If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause of glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Hold up, Paul. You just said to live is Christ and to die is again. You just said to live meant every, every, the reason why I breathe, you know, the reason why the coffee smells so good, the flowers are beautiful, all the whole reason why I live, the, the reason for my existence is because of Christ, right? We, we all kind of got that, right? To, from to live is Christ. But then he goes on to say in verse 24, but to remain in the flesh or to live is more necessary on your account. I thought, I thought when we live a life, it's all about, you know, the glory of God. Oh, none to me. You know, it's all to God. It's all just for Christ. But, but what is, is this like heresy? What, 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 is, what is he saying right here? You know, he's saying, wait, live for you guys, for your sake, for your account, for your progress, for your joy in the faith. To live is Christ and to die is gain. You know, whether in life or death, our main passion, purpose, and meaning is for Christ. Amen? And that's true. But I want to ask you this question. So if Jesus' death and, and, and the whole event of the cross, the whole meaning of the cross, if it tore the veil, and if it gave us an unprecedented access and intimacy God that Old Testament saints only dreamt of, you know, what's the difference between having Christ now here on earth or having Christ when we die? Does that make sense? So, you know, Paul's saying, yeah, to, you get Christ on this, on this side of the world and on that side of the world, right? And that's the whole point. But then, you know, what's the main difference, I guess, between, um, yeah, experiencing Christ here on earth and experiencing him in heaven? And the difference is, 
while we are alive on earth, we have the opportunity to invite others into the same intimacy and joy of knowing Christ that we get to experience. That's right. Because once we die, we can't bring others into that. You know, we're only going to be on the bleachers in heaven and we're going we're gonna, to like cheer with all the angels and give Abraham a high five and say, yeah, like my niece, you know, she accepted Christ today and, you know, hallelujah. And, and we could do that, but we won't be able to really play that kind of part, you know, once we leave this earth. I know what I'm saying right now is not like brand new news to you, but just, just keep following me because, man, this, this revelation just... Man, it took me so much deeper in understanding what it really means to say to live is Christ and to die is gain. So what I'm saying is pretty much it's not about just you, okay? There's this uh, Planet Shaker song, and it's all about Jesus. It's all about the way he changed our lives. It's all about Jesus. Uh, something, something, blood can't be denied. And, you know, and, and uh, New Philly, especially, we do a good job in knowing that it's all about Jesus, right? Right? I hope so in your CGs. I hope Jesus is being, you know, talked about, prayed to, right? And, and we talk about Jesus' love. But what if we did a little remix to the song where it's not all about Jesus, but we, we do a little remix and say, it's not about, now insert your name in there. So it's not about David. It's not about, I mean, he's not the one that this life's all about. It's not about your name, <laughs> the subject of this song can be denied. So, you know, I'm just saying this because, yes, we understand it's all about Jesus. That's very important. And this life is all about you specifically knowing Jesus. It's about you getting a revelation. It's about you really experiencing that. And, and to go on to that, though, but what I'm trying to say is if you want to know God's love in a fuller way, you need to know that his love is not just limited to you. It's very simple revelation. I know I've been just saying it over and over again, but yes, living this life is living for Christ. It's known better. It's to worship him and love him better. But live, living for Christ also means understanding God's love for others. So let's turn our Bibles to the book of Jonah. Jonah is in towards the end of the Old Testament. And uh, as you're turning there, I just want to ask, um, has anyone read this very short book before? Yes? Okay. Uh, Has anyone heard this if you grew up in the church in, in Sunday school? Yes. All right. Now, has anyone, anyone here feel like they've been lied to? <laughs> because, man, when I read this book now as an as a adult, and the story I remember hearing as, as a Sunday school kid, it, it's very different, you know? Like, Jonah was very, um, like, admirable in, in, you know, when I heard the story as a kid. And, and yeah, it was just very different. But uh, for those of you who never heard this story before, you're, you're in for a surprise. So, yeah, Let's, I'm just going to walk you guys through it. So, just starting from verse 1 of chapter 1, I'm just going to read on. So, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of 
Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. All right, we'll stop there. So I think we kind of know what, what happens with the story, right? So for those of you who don't know, you know, Jonah, he gets a call from God, and God says, Hey, go to this place called Nineveh. And just tell them about, you know, hey, you got to repent and stop doing the evil things you're doing. Um, and just go listen to me. Okay, go to this place. God tells him that. Jonah, as, you, as we just read, he doesn't go there, right? And, you know, when I heard the story as a kid, I was like, what the heck, Jonah? Like, God spoke to you. He said, he spoke to you in an audible way. Like, why would you not do that? That's why you're going to get eaten by a whale. <laughs> But then I, later I read it's a fish, you know. But then when we did it in Sunday school, it was like a, it's like a picture of a whale. But, and, and, but then, you know, as I kind of just studied the context again, like I was realizing, okay, okay, Jonah, I, I kind of understand you more. Because for those of you who don't know, Nineveh, it was a, it was a city part of Azria. Okay, Azria was this um, really bad empire, you know. And, and they, were, they had really high ambitions to pretty much take over the world. You know, they wanted to just spread their culture, their power and influence to to other nations. And the thing was, Nineveh, it was the head of the Azrian military state. Okay, so as I keep going, so if Azria became a stronger, more dominant military power, if they just kept growing with all this, pretty much Nineveh and Azria, they would have been a, a potential threat against Israel's very existence. So, okay, all right, Jonah, okay, okay. I, I understand a little bit more now, you know, why you would run away after God spoke to you, you know? You're just, okay, you hate the people that, you, that God told you to go to, and okay, it makes a little more sense. So Joseph had a little bit more of a legitimate reason to not want to go there. So he runs away from Nineveh, he runs away from the presence of God. You know, he gets on a ship, crazy storm, you know, comes about, and then everyone's like freaking out, and they're all like, what? What is going on? Oh my gosh. And they wake up, Jonah, he's downstairs. And they all, they're all, they're all like God fearing because pretty much they, they're all like, oh my gosh, something, like someone did something bad. So let's, let's cast some lots. And then the lot goes on to Jonah and they're like, like, hey, who are you? Like, where are you from? And then Jonah, you know, he just goes, hey man, I'm a Hebrew. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm a Hebrew from, you know, who, who loves the, the Lord and, and fears the Lord and all this stuff. And they're all like, oh, dude, you're the reason why, why we're all, we're all uh, about to die right now. And, you know, so they get afraid. Men ask, what should we do? He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea, and the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest or storm, whatever, has come upon you. So, okay. Jonah, he says he fears the Lord. He acknowledges why the storm is there. He's saying it's because of me. So unfortunately, he gets, you know, thrown overboard. And not the whale, but the fish, you know, just eats him. He gets swallowed up. And then he's, he's, he's in a really bad situation, right? He's just, he's just stuck. He's, he's rotting. It's, it's pitch black in there. I mean, anyone here been, been a fish before? No, no one knows, right? It's, but I bet it's not pleasant, right? And it's like, I mean, it's really stinky because everything else around him is just rotting and Life just sucks for, for Jonah, right? It's just not good for him. And he's there for three days and three nights. And it's in this place of brokenness that Jonah just lifts up a prayer. So I'm just going to read different verses uh, of chapter 2. Verse 2, it says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress 
and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. You know, here you, you see him, that he's able to acknowledge the presence of God. You know, Psalm 139 says, Where shall I go from your presence? Where shall I flee from your spirit? Even if I go to the depths of Sheol, you are there. And, and Jonah, he gets this revelation. Even when I'm in the depths of this stank fish, you know, I'm, I'm able to experience your presence. I'm able to see that, wow, you, you hear me. In verse 7, it says, When my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. In verse 9, he ends by saying, But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Again, in this place of brokenness, he's in there for three days, three nights. He gets a revelation of God's presence, but then he also gets a revelation of God's goodness. So what happens in chapter 3, you know, he, you know the, the whale shoots him out. I mean, not the whale. The fish uh, spits him out or whatever. And then uh, God says, all right, Jonah, I'm going to tell you one more time. Go to Nineveh, preach this judgment. So Jonah goes there. He says, in 40 days, the judgment of God will come. You'll be overthrown. And then, you know, what happens? You know, to Jonah's surprise, people, like, completely respond. This is like, anyone here do a mission trip before? Raise your hand up, anyone? This is like a missionary's dream come true. All right? Jonah doesn't even preach a good message. He just says, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And then people respond with repentance, with fasting. They rip off their clothes. They wear sackcloth. They throw ash on themselves. Everyone, the whole neighborhood is doing it. And missionaries dream come true, right? Even the king hears of this and he's like, oh, snap. Yo, everyone, 40 days, we fasting, you know. I have access to all kinds of food, but no, we're going to fast. We're going to, man, this God, that this, this stinky uh, fish man is talking about, whoa, like I want to, I want to know about this God, you know, and they repent, they realize, and, and, and God sees it. He turns and he sees them turn from their evil ways and then he relents, right? He, he doesn't punish them like he promised them. He would, he, in other words, he extends the mercy, So what happens in chapter 4, verse 1? Read the uh, first two verses. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. All right, then Jonah, he goes on to describe the goodness of God. He says, For I knew that you are gracious God and merciful, or compassionate. It's like a mother's compassion to a child. He goes on to say that, God, you are slow to anger. Which can, this is a weird translation, but it could literally be translated to long of nostril. And it's one of those like, you know, Hebrew poetic devices. But pretty much it's, it's also a way of just indicating God's long patience, long nostril, long patience with Nineveh's evil, you know, for many, many years. You know, he's really doing an a, a eloquent way of just describing God's goodness. Here, here Jonah is, right? And then he ends by saying, an abounding, God, you are abounding in steadfast love. And you're relenting from disaster. He's abounding in steadfast love. In other words, God's covenant has said love or his loyalty, his devotion. And why does he know this goodness so well? It's because he just experienced it. The day before, he was in the stinkiest of places. He was in the belly of a fish. And he experienced God's overwhelming presence and goodness. But then how does Jonah respond? In verse 3, he goes, Therefore now, O Lord, Please take my life from me. 
for it's better for me to die than to live. So Jonah's pretty much saying, Lord, I prefer death over serving a God of compassion and mercy. This makes no sense. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say it's possible to get a revelation of God. It's possible to know his character and to know his goodness, but to forget that it's not just for you. This is the point of my message. You can obtain all the right knowledge of God. You can understand his goodness, his love, and his presence, but you, you could do it in a way where you don't capture his heart. You know, how many of us here have experienced the goodness of God? Whether it was here at, you know, New Philly or your church, you know, your own prayer closet. You know, when, when God really met you, you know, whether it was when you were younger, when you first received We all here, I hope, experience the goodness of God. Whether it was in a tangible way or just, you know, a common way, just, you know, just with our health and whatever. And we all here have experienced God's goodness. Amen. But how often do we remember that we are called to share this goodness with others? You know, maybe the reason why some of you here are feeling dry are feeling, or feeling lukewarm, it's not because of your circumstance, it's not because of a certain shortcoming, but it's just because you simply forgot that you have something so good inside of you, but you forgot it's not just for you. Maybe your breakthrough is when you remember that you're supposed to give that goodness that you received. Again, Philippians 1.21, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. You know, both Paul and Jonah, they understood the goodness of God. They understood his character. You know, Paul, he's like, man, God is so good. Oh, snap, I'm shipwrecked. Oh, God is so, oh, snake just bit me. Oh, God is so good. He's able to worship him. He's able to, you know, he's persecuted. He's getting stones thrown at him. He's left for dead. He wakes up. God is so good. He understands how, God, how good God is. And Jonah understood that too. But their responses were completely different. Paul understood God, and, and if, he, if he had it his way, he would say, Lord, just take me to heaven now. Take me now. You know, I just want to be in eternal bliss with you. But Paul knew that he couldn't have his way because he knew that the grace and intimacy experience was not just for him. He knew he must continue to live so others may know this love, Christ's love. Again, if we want to know God's love fully, we must know that it's not just for us, but that it's meant for others. It's so easy for us to get caught up with just, you know, being so focused on ourselves. You know, we get that one breakthrough, and that's good, and we need that. We need to be affirmed by God. We need to be touched by Him. But, yeah, just God was just speaking to me a variety of ways, and... You know, even uh, for those of you who know, uh, New Philly sent a couple of their praise leaders to Hillsong Conference in Australia. And it was such an inspiring time where we got to see, um, yeah, just God really moving in a powerful way, multiple salvations. And, you know, the, the professionalism, the global impact they had, it was very inspiring. It was very, uh, it was such a blessing. But what blessed me the most was their humility and, and the consideration of others that they had. You know, and the various teachings that, you know, they, um, they gave to us for, you know, for songwriting or whatever it was. It was never like, all right, look, uh, we're Hillsong. 
We've been doing this for like 30 plus years now. So let, let me teach you a little something. Local church people, you know, who, who flew from Korea. You know, it was never this kind of spirit, but they were like, man, uh, it was very non-Hillsong centric. You know, they were like, hey, you just got to know this guy named Jesus. Um, you know, and, and, you know, just, it was very, like, and you could see it even their main um, church campus where the front sign, it didn't even say Hillsong, you know, Hills Campus. It said, just Jesus, you know, <laughs> it was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. You know, it's like, wow, they're really not about themselves. And, and to see that on, on the way they're operating on that level, that, that was just such a blessing to see. And, you know, just thinking about other people who really understand what it means to consider others to, to live a life where it's not just for themselves, it's parents. Can, can all the parents in the house say amen? <laughs> Thank you, Pastor. You know, I was thinking about it, you know, because I, I work a lot with Pastor John. He's one of our uh, pastors at our church, and he's like, I could just see him thinking in his mind, like, I have to get home by a certain time so that I could be with my baby, you know, and we have to feed the baby at this time so that the baby doesn't wake up in the middle of the night and doesn't wake me up, you know? And it's like, it's like you see this process where every single action they take is, is for that baby, you know? Or, you know, for the family, for as well. And, man, like, I, I think, yeah, even Pastor John said it once, like, you realize how selfish you are as a parent, and you really learn to become selfless because you're not so caught up with just thinking about yourself. And I was just thinking, man, what if our mind and, and the language you used, we used, was engineered for purposes other, other than ourselves? You know, what if, you know, we just went throughout the day and we were just thinking and, and we just automatically thought not, oh, I'm hungry. Oh, what do I want to, but like, oh, what does that person want to eat? Or, or, you know, when we just get on the subway, like, we're not just like, oh, can I get a seat? Can I get a seat? Can I get a seat? We're not so caught up about that, but we're like, oh, is there any old people that need a seat? You know, or just any... Like, what if our minds were not so self-focused, but we engineered, we nurtured, we trained our minds, our use of language to simply consider others? And what if we realized our actions had the potential to change lives eternally if we weren't so focused on ourselves? You know, a few weeks ago, I had a dream that God spoke to me through. And this is significant because I either don't remember my dreams or I just feel like they're not from God. And this was one of the dreams I knew was from God. And in this dream, I was driving drunk. <laughs> Has anyone here ever drunk driven before? Please don't raise your hand out. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> let me just explain. Uh, Post-Christ, I've never drunk driven before. So just uh, uh, seeing how this uh, recorded and all. So in my dream, I drank with some friends. I don't even remember who was with me, but, you know, I, I drank with some friends. And then I drove my car with them in it. And I, I specifically remember my friend in the back was complaining, like, oh, my gosh, you smell like whatever we drank. You know, like, oh, you smell like alcohol, blah, blah. And, I, and like, I can't believe you're driving, blah, blah. But then my friend next to me in the passenger side was like, hey, man, considering how much you drank, you're doing great. And I was like, <laughs> so, Yeah. That's right, you know, and, and, you know, but unfortunately, as I kept driving, like, I just found myself accelerating, you know, faster or like really hard to brake. And 
fortunately, you know, I didn't hit anyone in the dream or in real life for that matter. But, you know, and, and so I finally woke up and I just felt like, wow, this is from God. Because, <laughs> you know, you, even if it makes no sense, you just know in your spirit, like when God speaks to you, right? And, and one thing God was, I felt was saying was just, David, just slow down, you know, because you just need to learn how to rest. You know? And that's another sermon. And so I was like, okay, journal, check. And then the second thing I felt like God was telling me was, David, it's not about you. You know, because in this dream, as I was driving and it, like there was a part of me that was like, man, I just want to, I just want to prove my, my complaining friend in the back wrong. You know, I just want to prove that it doesn't matter how much I drink. I can drive strongly. You know, and it was weird. Like I, I was just watching myself like, you idiot, what are you doing? You know, and I'm, I'm just driving. And then as I'm getting affirmed by my very unwise friend next to me, yeah, like there was a part of me that was just like, wanted to prove that I could do this. Right. And it was just so odd. But, you know, I felt like I was saying, you know, it's not about how well I was doing something. Yeah, that the focus wasn't about how well I was doing something like driving in this instance. And it wasn't a, even about me specifically being in the driver's seat. But it was just about me doing what was the most loving thing to everyone. The most safe thing for everyone. Get out of the car, right? Just, just walk home, whatever it takes, right? And it sounds ridiculous, and, and it should be because it was a dream. But I was just thinking, man, like how many times in my life, in real life, do I think, like, man, it has to be, like, I have to do this so right, or I ha- I, it has to be me who has to do it. I have to be in the driver's seat, even when I'm clearly the, the one who shouldn't be in there. Or, you know, I, I was just thinking, like, man, it, like, I have to do this. I have to do this. I, I, I. And it just got me um, asking myself, you know, am I remembering what it's ultimately about? Am I remembering to, am I just doing my uh, actions without really considering you know, others, people's views, without considering others better as myself. And I just started asking myself, um, you know, what are my true, uh, you know, desires? What are my true motives for why I make the decisions in my life? You know, whether it was in my finances, whether it was in my, you know, just future dreams or ambitions, like, in just every area, I was like, man, what? Like, how self-centered am I really thinking? You know, am I considering others like Paul exhorts us to? In Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, it says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And he keeps going. In verse 5, he says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We'll just pause there. And I was just thinking, you know, God's perfect. You know, the God had three in one. They're all, they're all perfect. You know, God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they're all perfect. And, you know, before Genesis and you know, your table of contents, before all of that was written in the Bible, you know, it was just, it was just the Godhead. They were just, they were just chilling, not even in heaven. They are just chilling, you know, and, and they're like, hey, hey, it's good. Like, how you doing, Father? I'm good. You know, oh, so good. Like, I'm so full of myself. You know, he's, he's the only one who can say that. 
and, and he's just experiencing, they're just experiencing the goodness of God. But I wonder, you know, what time or who said it first where they're like, hey, hey, we should create like little people made in our image, like all like types of sizes and colors, you know, and, and for like thousands and thousands of years. And, and hey, we should let, we should let them experience this goodness. You know, I, I was just thinking like when, like that had to have happened sometime where God was really considering us, considering others. And even when he was clearly better than us, he, he came in a way where he acted like he wasn't better than us. You know, he sent, you guys know the story, a man named Jesus. And he lived, you know, this very mediocre life for the first 30 years of his life. And, you know, we see this example of considering others better than yourselves. And we see a lifestyle in the, in the life, of, in the person of Jesus, where, man, everything he did, big or small, it was for others. Whether it was for the individual or for the multitudes. And I just want to leave you all with that where... I just want to ask you, man, what are you living for? What does to live as Christ and to die as gain mean to you? Is it just your own personal revelation of God? Is it your own breakthrough? Is it, you know, you getting this one prayer request answer that you've been praying for for many years? Or is it, you know, God saying, hey, that goodness you experienced whenever he gave it to you or whenever you really experienced it, it's time for you to give it to someone else. Let's pray.